This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. I started eating it and I was like, wow, this is giving me a lot more energy. This this is great. What is this? And did a little research and was just taken aback by all of the nutrients in this plant. We're chatting to Lisa Curtis this week, CEO of Coolie Coolie, the super, superfood business trying to get the world turned on to the taste of Moringa. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back. Uh, this is episode 16 of The Better Business Show. I'm Tom Idle. Much appreciated you're tuning in. Thanks for being there. Um, if if you want to get ahead of, of the, the, the news digest that we do every week, then uh, we've got that towards the end of the show. So if you'd rather uh, do it in that order, fast forward to about 25 minutes uh, and you'll get the, all the latest with uh, myself and, and Vicky Knowles digesting some of the, the key stories that have happened in the last, in the last seven days. Um, uh, so yeah, so do that. But um, we'll get stuck right into the show this week, uh, and we're going to be talking to to Lisa Curtis uh, from Cooley Cooley, um, as I said at the outset. Now, in a world where the the impacts of our changing climate, you know, extreme weather events, erratic storms, uh, droughts, outbreaks of pests, different growing seasons, you know, all these different things are continuing to put pressure on the world's farmers who find themselves in this really sort of uncomfortable, vulnerable uh, and, well, destabilised position in the world. And food really is a a tricky subject. Farmers' ability to continue to produce the crops that we so rely on for so many of our beloved foodstuffs is becoming increasingly compromised, particularly in the developing world where smallholder farmers and indigenous communities depend solely on on farming to survive, basically. If we take meat, for example, the global appetite for meat is booming right now, Um, and it's only going to get bigger and bigger. Animal agriculture is set to increase by 70% by 2050, which is going to put huge, huge strain on worldwide uh, water supplies. There's a great video that was recently aired by Vice magazine, recently looking at the uh, the huge environmental destruction caused by global meat production. Um, but the the idea that you know we'll continue to expand uh, the, the 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 farming operations for something like meat to feed nine billion people by the middle of the century is is worrying to say the least. So we find ourselves with a whole bunch of startup companies out there right now trying to come up with new foods that will appeal to the masses and wean us off of our traditional stock of foods, uh, the production of which is obviously, as I say, putting pressure on everything. Um, Of course, you might be familiar with the whole bug and insect eating movement, which has been going on for the past year or so. Um, Companies like Aspire, a so-called future food developed by Muhammad Asur and, and Shabit Asur, who believe the answer to all of our environmental woes lies in uh, edible insects, something they say is nutrition-dense and resource-efficient food, uh, and a potential game-changer, I guess, for the world's food security. And then you've got new companies like Ripple Foods, which has developed a protein-rich alternative to milk 
using processed peas. And the man behind Ripple Foods is Adam Lowry, who co-founded Method, the, the green uh, cleaning products business, which he sold out to Ecover a few years back. And he's back, and he's, into, he's entered into the alternative food market. And he says that all of the evidence suggests that, that not only are Ripple's products more nutritious than many other dairy alternatives, but they're also kinder to the environment, at least in terms of water consumption and, and the way these things come to market. Uh, and he, you know he's keen to bring something really unique to the market. So this week we're going to explore another of these businesses, and there are, as I say, lots out there. Uh, businesses in search of taking something extraordinary and making it an everyday, ordinary part of, of our lives. Cooley Cooley is a US-based business making use of the Moringa plant to make a range of energy and health bars and shot drinks. Um, and as Lisa Curtis, the CEO of Cooley Cooley, explains, it's a plant that has the potential to not only change the health and dietary habits of those in the West, but also the lives and livelihoods of farming communities across the developing world as well. It's a great story, and I hope you like it. So here goes. So Lisa, thank you for joining us here on The Better Business Show. Uh, delighted to have you join us. Thank you. Um, we'll, we'll come on to talking more specifically about your business and you and, and where this whole thing started. Um, but it's probably best to dive straight into the product and, and the key ingredient of, of Cooley Cooley's products, uh, which is something called Moringa. Now, there's probably lots of people tuning in to the show that have no idea what Moringa actually is. Am I, am I even pronouncing that right? You are. You're pronouncing that absolutely right. Because <laughs> it's it's it seems. To, I mean, I've read some of the things on your website and and elsewhere that it seems like the ultimate superfood, doesn't it? I mean, it's all the things we know to be good for us. Moringa just sort of, sort of blows them all out, all out of the water, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It is the most super of the superfoods. Yeah, it's actually a tropical tree. It grows everywhere from Africa, India, Haiti, um, all all over the world in the tropical areas. And the leaves of this tree are more nutrient-dense than kale. Um, they have a, provide a complete protein. They're about a third protein by weight. have a lot of calcium, iron, vitamins, um, and minerals, so you know you're you're getting kind of a, a multivitamin in a tree, basically. It's amazing. Why don't we know more about moringa? Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar to the way that you know the Western world didn't really know about quinoa ten years ago, or acai eight years ago, or you know chia outside of chia pets five years ago. There's a lot of plants that are eaten all over the world, and particularly in the tropics, there's such a rich biodiversity. But not all of those plants have made it to the Western world. Um, so we're really excited to be the first to, to pioneer this superfood. Yeah, yeah. So, so how do you make use of Moringa? What do, what do you do with it? So I, so a lot of people put it in smoothies. Um, I personally am always running out the door late in the, in the morning, so I actually just add it to my oatmeal mix a little bit in um, and it really does give you a really nice boost of energy um, and especially when you mix it with other things it doesn't change the flavor too much. Moringa has kind of a green earthy flavor similar to matcha green tea um, so it's it's a really easy thing to add in a bunch of different things and then my my personal favorite as well um, for potlucks and stuff is I'll make Moringa cookies and it turns whatever you're cooking green so it's a, often a big hit. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you what it tasted like. I mean, it's not something you would taste on its own, right? No. So you know, the same way you wouldn't like powder up kale leaves. 
cubes and eat the raw moringa, you know, the, the raw kale, powdered kale. It, it's, it's pretty strong when it's concentrated. Um, but in smoothies or in savory dishes or, you know, even baked goods, it, the flavor isn't too overpowering, but it adds a ton of nutrition to whatever right. you're cooking. Right. And so, so tell me about the, about the business, Coolie Coolie. What, 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 are you, what are you making? What's the products? Yeah, so I started the company about five years ago, actually, was when I first started working on it as a Peace Corps volunteer in Niger, West Africa, and was just struck by the incredible opportunity in this plant that grows so well all over the tropics and grows in many places where there are high rates of malnutrition, but is often underutilized because, you know, most people don't know about it, and so they don't eat it, and they have no incentive to grow it because there's no market for it. So... I came back to the U.S. and together with a few amazing co-founders started Cooley Cooley. So we launched onto the market at the end of 2013 with our Moringa Superfood Bars. Um, and then last year we launched our Pure Moringa Powder. And then this year we launched our Moringa Green Energy Shot. And the overall thesis of, of what we're trying to do is, you know, Moringa is the most nutritious vegetable on the planet. And so we want to make it easy for Americans and, you know, eventually Europeans when we expand to Europe to get their greens on the go while helping to plant Moringa trees and support women farmers in the developing world. So this is about helping, uh, I guess, Americans initially to, to get more greens into their diet, right? Uh, in, in, a, in a way that, you know, is on the go food, that, you know, for busy people with, with busy lifestyles. I guess that's the market you're going after, is it? Yeah, you know, I don't know the stats for Europe, but for the US, they estimate that only 4% of Americans are getting the recommended serving of vegetables that we should be getting a day. Wow. And, you know, that's vegetables are really important. They have a lot of nutrients that our body needs. And, you know, when we're just eating carbs and meat, we don't, um, we don't get a lot of those vitamins and minerals. Um, and so, you know, moringas are a really great supplement for people to add to their diets. And the best thing about it is that it's, it's not a supplement. It's a real plant. Yeah. I mean, it, as, you, as you say, it's not something I've seen here in, in the UK or anywhere I've been in Europe. What does the moringa market look like in the States right now? Yeah, so we're really the first to market with Moringa. Um, so, you know, we're now in about a thousand stores nationwide um, and have been, been growing quite a bit. Um, we've seen a lot of other people starting to add it to their products, and we've actually had a lot of them coming to us wanting to add our Moringa to, you know, their line of juices or their line of protein powders or that kind of thing, which is great because we want to grow this category and really get it out there more. Yeah. Uh, backtrack a bit. So you were in Niger in, in West Africa and you were introduced to Moringa by the locals there, right? Yeah. So I'm a vegetarian and I was living in a rural, rural, very rural village, no running water and no electricity and really no fruits or vegetables. Um, so I was basically subsisting off of millet and rice with some beans in there. Um, and so I was feeling like I wasn't getting enough nutrients in my diet. Um, and I was working at the village health center and a couple of nurses there were like, oh, you should try eating Moringa. Like that is a great source of nutrients. And I started eating it and I was like, wow, this is giving me a lot more energy. This, this is great. What is this? And did a little research and was just taken aback by all of the nutrients in this plant. Right. And so how long ago was that? So that was in 2010. Okay. Believe it or not, 2010 to 2011. So then you got back to the States and then uh, the, the, you went into business with, with friends or colleagues or, or, or... Yeah, so my childhood best friend, Valerie, at the time was working 
working at a CPG consulting firm. So she was helping big companies like Hershey's and General Mills um, develop new products and do a lot of consumer testing about what people liked and didn't like. Um, and so I talked her into doing the same thing with Moringa. Um, so we set off to, to start testing things out at farmer's markets. And um, we got a couple other people involved who had experience in you know, creative design and um, someone who had experience in, in websites. And we, we, it was all just a side project at first. We all had day jobs, but right, something right. we were really, really, really passionate about trying out. Wow. And so in terms of getting the, the business off the ground, did you do, a, uh, I think I read you did a crowdfunding campaign, did you? Yeah, so our business has really been built by the crowd. So we did a crowdfunding campaign in June of 2013, and that was amazing. We raised $53,000 from 800 people all over the world, and just the the outpouring of support for what we were doing was just took me aback. Yeah, so the whole crowdfunding kind of mechanism and, and process, how did you find it? I mean, I've spoken to lots of startups and entrepreneurs who have gone down that route and uh, with you know mixed success, but how did you find the whole process? Yeah, so it's interesting. So, you know, our first crowdfunding campaign, we raised $25,000 in a day. Um, it was, it totally took off. It went way more viral than we could have imagined. Um, and then, you know, we did a crowdfunding equity campaign to raise for money from investors, and that was also successful and, um, you know, wasn't too, too hard. We certainly put a lot of thought into the design and the content. But then um, more recently around our energy chats, we did a third campaign, which was, you know, the, the biggest donation-based crowdfunding campaign we've done for 100000 And I think in those three years, the, the market for crowdfunding has gotten harder because mm. um, it was significantly harder for us to get people as excited about it because there were a lot of people, like, we even got a lot of responses with people being like, oh, man, I'm just inundated with crowdfunding campaigns these days. Yeah, yeah. And so the latest, the hundred thousand dollars. This is for the Haiti project. Project is it? Yeah, exactly. So t- tell us what you're doing in in Haiti. I mean, you're essentially trying to set up Moringa production there, aren't you? Yeah. So we had a really cool opportunity to start working with this nonprofit in Haiti um, and the Clinton Foundation to help reforest Haiti with moringa trees. Um, and the way that we wanted to do it was so that it was really, you know, exit strategy aid, um, so that the Clinton Foundation could invest money in helping to set everything up and purchase all the agricultural inputs and processing center. Um, but then, you know, the farmers plant trees and they process the moringa and sell it to us, and that cycle keeps going. The more they plant, the more we purchase, um, and sort of, you know, reforestation in a in a, a profit-driven way, which sounds kind of crazy, but I think is super effective. And so what, what does the production look like in Haiti? Is there anything there, or, or are you kind of boosting what's already there, or...? Yeah, so the uh, moringa had already been grown in Haiti, but had never really been cultivated and certainly had never been exported. Um, so we, you know, worked with farmers to plant more moringa in a very sustainable agroforestry way. So in the same field where they have their peanuts and their beans, they also have moringa trees in there. Okay, uh, yeah. So it's a very, you know, very sustainable. And then um, we gave them a lot of technical assistance on creating a processing center um, for them to do, you know, that the high quality processing of moringa. Okay, and it's also about getting women into work as well, isn't it? I know women's empowerment yeah. is hugely important in, uh, in not just in moringa, but in all different sorts of crops. But uh, yeah, how are you, how are you helping uh, the kind of women's empowerment movement? 
Yeah. So all of our Moringa is processed by women. So they do all of the value addition. They're the ones who wash the leaves and dry the leaves and um, who get paid the most from from growing the Moringa and, and selling it to us. So, you know, we're really big on working with women-owned cooperatives and we stipulate that we want women in positions of leadership of any organization that we work with because we think it's really important. Okay. So in order for this project to, to work and be effective, I guess this is all about you scaling up as, as well in terms of the, you know, creating a market that's going to sustain um, these farms. Uh, I, I know you've got Whole Foods on yeah. board. Are you able to break into the kind of the other mainstream uh, sort of retail chains? Yeah, actually, um, so, you know, we're now in Whole Foods nationwide and we will be launching with um, some pretty other, some pretty large, uh, more conventional grocery chains um, in the next few months. So we're we're moving and grooving. (laughs) Yeah, stay tuned. I mean, is it, I mean, what are the the kind of of things that are holding you back potentially? Is it about an education that that people just need to be kind of have their their minds open to to this food stuff? Yeah, I think the biggest part of it really is education, that a lot of people haven't heard of Moringa before. Um, and we find that absolutely once people hear about it and they learn about it, they get so excited because for a lot of people, this solves their problems. Like for a lot of vegetarians, it's the perfect way to get their, you know, 50% of their iron, a lot of protein um, and that kind of thing. But most people just don't know about it. No, that's it. Uh, and there's, there's quite a movement right now, particularly in the States, it seems to be, for kind of alternative foods, whether it's kind of eating insects or bugs or, or, or whatever. I mean, it, it's quite a thing growing there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of people who have recognized that, you know, you can't just eat crappy food and then, like, take some pills. Um, that that's, that's not actually a healthy way to live um, and that by eating healthy food that can actually be your medicine you know the old quote let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food I think a lot of people are starting to recognize that what they put into their body matters yeah yeah exactly and the, the name of your of your business Cooley Cooley is it this is what the the locals in in Niger were calling Moringa is it yeah so they made this really delicious snack with um, peanuts and moringa and that it they called it coolie coolie and that was what kind of kept me kept me going during peace corps so they you know i came back to the u.s and wanted to recreate that snack so that was the basic idea of what then became our bars um and you know that the idea behind the name of like we're gonna create we're gonna make moringa snacks that taste good and that people love and that are healthy for them um so that's that's why we kept the name that's great. I, I really want to taste one. It's, it's you know so so frustrating talking about this these snacks of yours with not knowing what they taste like. Um, have you? Have oh you, yeah, well, we send you some. <laughs> I would. I'd love some. I'd love some. Have you? Have you been back to to, to visit the guys in Niger and with your products? Yeah. So you know, I've been. Um, so we're now working in Ghana, in Nicaragua, and in Haiti. Um, and when I was back in Ghana about a year ago, I was um, hoping to visit Niger and visit my village. But um, unfortunately, that was around the same time that there was Ebola. Um, uh, of course, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, traveling in West Africa was a little challenging. And, you know, Niger had had a couple of cases potentially, and I just didn't want to risk it. So um, hoping hoping that later this year I will be able to go back 
yeah yeah and what, what's what's been the hardest thing about running this business i mean the, the way you know listening to you talk about it, it it's so it, it, it just doesn't seem as if you've you've hit any hard hard walls with this but but i'm sure there has been some some tough times you you know setting up production lines in in some of these places is not easy is it well what's the hardest thing about running this business I mean, it's all hard. <laughs> um, I think that probably the top two things um, are one, you know, working in the developing world with small farmers is challenging. It's unpredictable. Um, you know, things inevitably go wrong and take longer than you think they will. Um, and then at the same time, you know, we're, we're dealing with the American environment where we want everything really fast and we don't, you know, don't really understand if, if things take longer to come then you know they should so we've you know had situations we've tried to minimize them as much as possible we've had situations where we had like you know a, a, our trees our moringa trees in ghana burned down and we had 800 people who had ordered moringa powder because we had just had a huge press spike um wow. and we had to tell these people like we're so sorry we just we, we won't be able to deliver for another two months um and those are those are challenging conversations to have. It's I think some of the pains of a growing business. Yeah, of course. What what happened with the trees then? So <laughs> we ended up. Um, I mean, they you know there was a wildfire. They all burned down. But um, they our partners in Ghana found a couple other cooperatives that they started working with. And then in the meantime, we started working in Haiti. Um, and then more recently, we started working in Nicaragua because we want to want to make sure that we're not overly dependent on one supplier to fulfill our orders sure sure and and the, the farms are traditionally small holdings are they there's no kind of way of industrializing it's not that you'd necessarily want to but you are reliant on a on a, on a plethora of kind of smallholder farmers right yeah. So, in, I mean, in terms of the processing, it's generally done in a central location because, um, you know, Moringa, the leaves, you have to actually process them within 30 minutes of picking them. Um, so you can't have, you can't have the farms too far apart from each other. Mm -hmm. um, but, but generally it's done on an outgrower model. We have one central area where you have, you know, a bunch of Moringa trees and then you have another bunch of other small farmers around that area that also have trees and they can bring the leaves into the one central area for processing. Right, right. So, so you said that in the next few months you're going to have a, a few more sort of bigger contracts come on. Um, what else, what's the kind of ambition for the next, I don't know, five years? What, where do you want to see Cooley Cooley go? Yeah, I mean, I want us to really dominate the U.S. market. We're very focused on the U.S. to start. Then I think Europe is, uh, we'd love to go there. Um, and we'd love to really build a brand around this superfood and get people excited about it the way that, you know, they're excited about their quinoas and their kales and all of the other mm. great superfoods. Um, and in doing so, you know, we want to make this a tool to improve nutrition and livelihoods worldwide. So our goal is, you know, employ a million Moringa farmers and plant five million Moringa trees. Right. It's a brilliant story. It's great finding out more about what it is you're up to. I know there's a few ways that our listeners can kind of support what you're doing, isn't there? How, how best can, can they do that? Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, unfortunately, we don't ship internationally yet. So if you're an international listener I would the best thing you can do is definitely go to our social media or go to our website and share it out just so that no more people know about it um, and we actually do have a fair amount of people in Europe who 
have gotten really interested in, you know, Instagramming Moringa recipes and that kind of thing for us. So if you're interested in that, absolutely read out, reach out because it's very easy for us to send Moringa packets in the mail. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, if you're based in the U.S., then absolutely the best thing you can do is walk into a store and pick up our product and while you're there maybe tell someone who works at that store how cool you think it is that they're selling a product that has this impact behind it love it love it it's a great story and um yeah it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you lisa thank you and thanks for sharing it with us um, here on the better business show we wish you all the best with it thank you so much for having me Lisa Curtis there, CEO of Cooley Cooley, uh, a woman on a mission to bring Moringa to the masses with her energy bars and energy shot drinks. Uh, check out the Cooley Cooley website where you can find out more about the company and its products and explore just how super Moringa is. Uh, there's a superb one-page uh, document you can download which gives all the, the health benefits attached to Moringa, which is well worth a look. Uh, as ever, if you want to find out more about anything we say, mention or reference on the show each week, we also produce uh, show notes every week uh, at www.betterbusiness.show where you can also listen to the previous 15 episodes of the Better Business Show. Uh, also subscribe to our newsletter uh, and just have a, a good browse around the site. Uh, we'll have all the links to Cooley Cooley. We've got some pictures of Lisa and the products as well, so do check those out. Of course, if you're in the States, then go and grab uh, some Cooley Cooley products. Uh, I certainly look forward to my shipment. Um, I hope Lisa keeps to her promise. Uh, right, it's time for a brief update on the news from across the world of sustainable business. So let's find out who's doing what and why with Vicky Knowles. Hello, Vicky. Welcome back. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Very good. I'm glad to be here again. Um, I caught up with your last episode over lunch. That was a nice little pep talk. Great, good stuff. I'm glad you're listening. Oh, have to. <laughs> Indeed, good. Okay, so let's uh, let's have a, a, a quick rundown of, of the news this week. Um, I'll kick off. There's been plenty written about Sun Edison uh, this week. Sun Edison is one of America's biggest solar power companies, and it's just filed for bankruptcy. Uh, this at a time when studies show that most U.S. states could actually produce anywhere between 25 and 45 percent of their power from the sun. And the growth in the sector in the last five years has jumped more than 400%. So lots of people worried that this, this potentially is a sign that the solar boom uh, might be coming to an end. Uh, but there's been some interesting pieces written, some interesting analysis, particularly Jenny Chase on Bloomberg New Energy Finance. Uh, she says that Sun Edison going bust is actually more to do with its you know, strategic decision making than it is about the solar industry as a whole. Basically, she says that Sun Edison was trying to grow at such a rate that it basically invested in loads of big projects using lots of money that was that was borrowed money. Uh, and so it took a lot of risks um, and not all of them paid off. Uh, it also attempted to break into the Chinese market back in 2014, which was seen as a, a big gamble, especially when six of the top 10 producers uh, of solar in the world are actually Chinese. Uh, Sun Edison spent $3.1 billion on a two-year acquisition spree. By the time it declared bankruptcy, uh, it was $16 billion in debt. Um, so yeah, so there's a good explanatory piece written by R.P. Siegel on Just Means this week. And he goes into some of the detail about how Sun Edison uh, set up its business model. Essentially, it, it kind of built solar energy plants and then sold them to publicly held companies known as Yield Co's. 
um, that it also then controlled. And as RP says, this allowed them to, in essence, leverage the promise of regular future returns in cash today. But unfortunately for Sun Edison, those future returns didn't arrive in time to pay the bills. Uh, so I think we're going to get you know some more stories like this from across the energy sector. I think as the industry tries to work itself out over the next decade or so, I guess you know we'll have a we're going to have a, a big mix of different energy generation um, mechanisms uh, to sustain us for you know at least the next fifty years. And there's going to be more winners and losers as the industry plays out and settles down a bit. So it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting development. Mm, yeah, it definitely seems like a kind of a sad message on first reading. But as Lucy mentioned, said it's more about the company's decisions rather than the solar industry as a whole. The same in many other industries, I'm sure. And in terms of investment, there are plenty of renewable projects out there, solar included, that have very good returns on investment. So I think there's still all to play for. I think we're always wondering whether consumers really care about sustainability. Um, well, a new survey from software provider Label Insight finds that over a third of consumers do, saying they consider whether a product is produced using sustainable methods when deciding whether to buy it or not. Um, so the top three factors for consumers' decision-making related to sustainability are product health and nutrition at 37%, farming techniques at 34%, and animal welfare also at 34%. So it's kind of like, is it good for me? Is it good for the farmers and the animals it was made by? Interestingly, sustainably, the sustainably produced products ranked above things like low sugar, low fat, clean labeled and allergen free. And some of these are pretty kind of trendy, should I say, these days. And um, also interestingly is that sustainable sourcing actually encourages brand loyalty. So sustainability was found to be more important to customers than brand recognition. Um, so this is just as relevant to established businesses as well as small ones in terms of customers. Uh, customer decision making. Um, the study surveyed 1,500 consumers. I'm sure it has its limitations, but definitely some useful findings for businesses to be aware of. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, I, I never really understand or, or um, I'm surprised, I, I guess, by some of these survey results. What do you, what do you think? Um, in terms of, do you think it's high or low? Well, I just think, you know, if you ask somebody a question like, do you care about the environment? They'll almost always say yes. Because yeah. they think that it's the right thing that you know they should say, but doesn't actually mean anything in terms of buying habits or how they act or how they shop. Um, I yeah. don't know. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And thirty-seven percent—it's not the majority, is it? No, no. You know. So, um, but it's it's definitely like being framed that way in the news, sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, it is a reasonable percentage, and yeah. uh, it's putting that above things like low sugar, low fat. And that I find that quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it also points to the need for, for labels and labels being the most easy and, you know, effective way of communicating with consumers uh, about the stories behind products. I mean, you know, so many the stories around the supply chains of some of the foods that we eat is so complex and that labeling <laughs> continues to, you know, to, to have a place, I guess. Um, all the while, there seems to be this middle ground where there's, you know, still so much food which is badly produced, not just food, but all sorts of products that are badly produced. And the label just gives a very simple kind of badge of honour that, you know, is contributing to, to buying habits, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, so speaking of food and drink, I also stumbled across this app called Sure, which is a personalised messaging service that connects 
conscious consumers with sustainable food and drink businesses. So it's like a personal assistant chatbot where you type something into this app like, hey, where shall I get dinner tonight? Or where can I get coffee in this neighborhood? And it will suggest restaurants and cafes that have some sustainable cred like fair trade coffee, zero waste restaurants or organic cafes. And one of the quotes on their website is, no searching or app navigation, we bring you sustainable living at your fingertips. And I think this sums it up quite well because it's not always easy to find these places. Like, for example, recently I wrote a listicle on my blog about places to grab coffee that have some sustainable cred. This isn't a plug, by the way, I promise. It's just an interesting <laughs> point of reference. Um, but it wasn't actually that easy to find necessarily because what term do you type into Google? Fair trade is the obvious one. But some cafes aren't fair trade certified, but in some cases pay their farmers more. So you could type in responsibly sourced, sustainable, single origin, organic, socially conscious. And you have to try out all these different search terms to get a comprehensive idea of what's out there. So I think mm -hmm. this, this um, I think they call it an app. It's such a cool idea. Um, and imagine if it spread beyond food and drink to clothes, shopping and jewelry, etc. If mm -hmm. you're not a sustainable business, then you won't be included and you'll miss out on that source of recommendations. Um, so unfortunately, the app is only recommended places in San Francisco and Copenhagen at the moment. Not sure how many of your listeners hang out in those cities, but who knows, this sort of thing could be popping up all over the place. Yeah, I'm sure it, I'm sure it'll spread out and I think, you know, Facebook's investing heavily in its messenger service, isn't it? And it's mm -hmm. uh, you know, th this this way of kind of connecting to customers um with personalized messaging is going to be you know, huge soon. I think it will spread out without doubt. Um I mean, you know, anything that connects people and businesses together that, you know, encourages positive moves towards, you know, greener restaurants and coffee shops is, is brilliant. I think I'd I'd love to see more technologies and companies attempted to connect up those that you know don't really care in some way this is all about hitting those that are already socially conscious people like you vix you know you're you're already out there searching for this stuff um yeah. and i just i just like to see more innovation in this space really perhaps you know something that kind of clubs together a whole bunch of stuff like you know price and quality of food and then also sustainability and perhaps you know that algorithm of results uh is biased towards those places that are being more responsible um I don't know, it just needs to be broadened out, I think, to to appeal to more than just those that already converted and turned on to this stuff. I don't know. I mean, it's not it's not an easy one anyway. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I mean, quality and sustainability are, are quite linked. So, you know, you could link, you could sort of connect it up in that way and appeal to the masses. Yeah, I mean, there, there is something that, that um, caught my eye this week, which, which does or attempts to do that very thing. Avery Dennison... Um, probably most people won't know they're a, they're a massive company that make the labels that go into our clothes the one with all the the kind of washing instructions on well they they've teamed up with a company called everything uh, everything spelt without any vowels uh, as tr trendy companies tend to do these days um, Avery Dennison is going to start giving clothing and footwear products unique digital identities so essentially they're going to tag clothes uh, to give them a, their own data profiles, which will be stored in a cloud. In the next three years, they're going to tag 10 billion products. Um, so why are they doing this? Well, it's a way of keeping an eye on products during the supply chain and the logistics process, so the company can, can help other companies improve their efficiency and reduce waste. But here's the interesting bit. The clothing and footwear tags are going to be connected to something called the Janella Smart Products Platform, which is where 
everything comes in. It's the, it's their thing. Uh, and that's going to allow customers to interact with the products through their smartphones. So you, you know, say you buy a T-shirt, and if you use this system, you just log on to an app, you use the digital reference code that's printed in your T-shirt, and you could find out what the product is made of, how it was made, where it was made, where the various bits of you know kind of raw material have come from, um, even things like you know what do you do when it comes to the end of a life? Is there a, a recycling centre nearby? Um, and so you're going to be able to use a digital tag to make it easy to reorder items as well. Or you might get personalised recommendations sent to you via your phone from the company that sold you the T-shirt. Uh, this is, I think, this is brilliant. What do you think? I think. I also think it's it's brilliant and, and a brilliant step for transparency and it kind of means they can't really hide anymore. Um, the other thing is that apparently consumers are quite reluctant to actually question shop assistants about the production behind what they're buying. Right, so that's right. another hurdle that product tagging overcomes. They can sort of look at it and think, nope, I'm not going to do that or yes, this is good. Yeah, I mean, it also comes back to what I was saying before about the need to kind of mainstream this, this stuff. Um, I mean, you know, I or someone might not be at all interested in supply chain issues or the environmental issues about how their t-shirt's been produced but you know if there's an app that's going to tell me where my t-shirt was made or maybe a video that shows where the cotton came from that actually went into my t-shirt not just a whole you know not just a batch of t-shirts then um, then suddenly I'm really interested so I think this has got so much potential of being a real well a bit of a game changer I think in terms of transparency as you say. Yeah, definitely. Is there any any idea of when this might be rolled out? Well, they say three years they're going to be working on it. Um, so God knows when we'll see the first ones hit the uh, the production line. Uh, but ten billion products. So it's, a, it's a, you know we'll, we'll we'll definitely see it. I suspect in in all the big cities in the world, no doubt. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I know that we're we're sort of the choir here, but I would I would love that. I'd love to know where it came from. Like when I buy things, to, to know exactly where the cotton came from, how it was produced, etc. Yeah, that's no, great. And, and who who wouldn't? I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? Well, thanks, Fix. Thanks for sharing uh, some of the stories this week. Plenty going on. Um, but yeah, we'll see you again next week. Anytime. All right, I'll catch you next week. So that's it for this week's edition of The Better Business Show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back again next week with another great story for you lined up. Uh, please don't forget to share the word of uh, The Better Business Show with your colleagues, your friends, your family. Uh, and do subscribe via iTunes if you haven't already done so. That would be wonderful. Um, so yes, until next week, we'll be back again on, uh, on next Monday. So until then, goodbye. <laughs>